Bibles to Jeremiah 29. Again, thank you to everyone uh, who made the ladies' conference possible. And um, I know they recorded the speakers, and I would really encourage you. Um, I guess, is that okay if everybody, anybody that would want one, like the husbands or anyone, is that cool? Is that good? So uh, if you see um, Shelby or Andra, they can um, get your name and make sure they get you copies of those. And uh, if everybody's in agreement, we, we can even put those on the website for download, if, if that's okay. So you guys realize you can do that. You can go to the website and you can download um, the messages. And uh, you can download it onto your computer or you can MP3, um, or you can get a disc and play it. Um, you can do that for the Sunday services, and I don't know if uh, the Wednesday service, but right now they're going through the book of Ruth on Wednesday nights, and I'm just going to tell you, man, it has been really, uh, really fabulous. Um, there's just so much there that is relevant to our lives, and... Um, so if they don't have the Wednesday night series on Ruth on the website, we'll uh, make sure that they put that there for download because it's been really, really good. We're going to talk today about God's plan. God has a plan. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe God has a plan? Jeremiah 29. Um, and the verse that's most familiar with, uh, for everybody in Jeremiah 29 is Jeremiah 29.11. Let's just read that together. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Some translations say, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Uh, the word plan, the English word plan, really doesn't exist in the Bible. Um, this is a Hebrew word that is most always translated thought. But it's a real interesting word because this word kind of, you know, Hebrew is a little bit different than English. Um, they don't have as many words in the Hebrew language as they do in the English language because a, a word in Hebrew kind of paints a picture. So instead of it being uh, just a, a thought, like if I, said, if I said chair, when I say the word chair, Probably most of you right now visualize one of these chairs, maybe, because it's the chair most, you know, that you're seeing or that you're sitting in. But it just describes a thing, where sometimes uh, in the Hebrew, these words describe more than just a thing, but it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a complete thought almost. And this word, for I know the thoughts I have for you, is a word that kind of implies this Thing. It's like uh, one of the words associated with it is machine, or to weave, or a tapestry. So it's not just like one thing, it's this concept that, this is why we translate the word in some of the more modern translations, a plan. I know the thoughts. God says, I have a plan, and we're part of that plan. So we quote this scripture a lot. I, I would venture to say that many of you probably have it hanging on your wall somewhere in your house. You, you probably have a t-shirt or something that's got that scripture on there. It might be stuck to your refrigerator with a magnet or you might even, you know, have it on your car or something. It's an awesome scripture. But here's the thing uh, about all scripture. You know, I'm, I'm real big on this. We've got to understand the Scripture in context, and we've got to read the Scripture in context and, and know. Context is important because truth is never found out of context. That's real important for us to understand, church. Truth out of context is not truth any longer. And so context is very important because if it's not in context, it's not the truth. Truth is never found out of context. So... Jeremiah 29.11 is a truth in itself. But what's important is that we don't depart from the context of this truth or of this scripture. Because if we do, we may misunderstand or, or misapply this truth. 
So I want to talk to you about this today. I want to talk to you today about God, God's plan. God has a plan. I believe this. I believe God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. Amen. It's just that in our culture today, we've come to think that God's plans have to look a certain way, be a certain way, involve certain things, and they can't involve other things. Otherwise, it can't be God's plan. It must be the devil's plan, or it must be somebody else's plan. Well, listen, the devil has a plan, and you no doubt all have plans of your own. But those are not the plans that we want to look to. Would you guys agree? We don't need another good plan for man. We certainly don't want the plan of the enemy. We want God's plan. And to fully understand, you know, really the whole book of Jeremiah is a very, very interesting book. It's a real deep book. It's full of history. It's full of all kinds of things. And I'm not going to talk to you today so much about history. But I want to talk to you today about the principles. Remember, I say this a lot. The the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, is actually a letter that was written to a certain group of people. Now, God in His sovereignty recorded this letter, put it in the Scripture for us today. And the truths of this letter, they are for us today. But we need to look at the whole letter, not just one verse that we're going to hang on our refrigerator. Because if we only look to this one verse, and we have some false understanding or false misconception about God and His plan we may come to the conclusion very erroneously at some point in time in our life when what we thought was God's plan didn't work out the way we thought it should work out. And we say, we'll either say, well, that wasn't God, or if that was God, then, then I don't want to have anything to do with Him. And the only way we can come to that conclusion is if we're misunderstanding and we're not comprehending the totality of what God is doing. So just very quickly, I'm just going to give you a real, uh, I, I didn't even record any scriptures here, but you can go farther back. But if you start in, let's say, Jeremiah 22. And in Jeremiah 22, you see that that chapter begins with a, a message to the king. And Jeremiah says to the king, he says, Hey, king, you are not judging righteously and justly. You're Rule is full of corruption, extortion. The people have no recourse. And you better get it right or God is going to judge you and your kingdom. Then we come to, you know, then it's full of a lot more stuff there. You know, it gets pretty specific. But I want to give you just some background that's leading us up to Jeremiah 29. Now, Jeremiah is prophesying about what's going to happen to Judah. At this time, the, the kingdom was still divided. There was Israel is the word that we think today when we say Israel, we, we don't think of a divided kingdom. But in Jeremiah's time, there was Israel and there was Judah. They were divided. Israel actually was the name of Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Jacob was the father of 12 sons, And those 12 sons became what we call the 12 tribes. Then there were some grandsons born too. One one who was born in Egypt, his name was Ephraim. And and so you see these these things, these names brought in and out. one One of them was Dan, and you see, you know, there were some problems with some of these sons. So Jacob didn't have a perfect family. He actually had quite a dysfunctional family in a sense. But, you know, here's what's really good to to keep in mind. God knows how to deal with dysfunction. God knows how to bring His plan about in spite of our dysfunction. And that's something very important for us to always remember. And so, you get to Jeremiah 23 and... It begins with these words, woe to the shepherds, because you're not being shepherds. 
you're, you're leading the people astray. You're not feeding them. It says the prophets and the priests have become profane. And God says in, in Jeremiah 23, verse 4, he begins to talk about it. He said, I will, I will set up shepherds that will do what they're supposed to do. I will raise up a branch. I will cause a branch to come forth. The Lord our righteousness. And you see that in this prophesying, Jeremiah is prophesying 500 years, 600 years before the birth of Christ. And, and, and God is sending a message to His people. And He's proclaiming what He's going to do. In, in chapter 24, God gives Jeremiah this picture of a basket of figs. That's one basket that's good and one basket that's so rotten you can't eat them. And he says this. I want you to turn over to Jeremiah 24. I want to read one scripture to you from this chapter. Now remember, we're talking about God's plan today. God has a plan. And in Jeremiah chapter 24, now, before I read the scripture to you, now understand, Jeremiah, we're going to see in just a minute, Jeremiah will have prophesied 23 years. And he's telling the children of Israel, hey, you need to, you need to wake up, you need to repent. Uh, if you don't, this is what God's going to do. And God was very clear. And the whole time Jeremiah is prophesying and telling the people what God's going to do, there were other prophets saying, that guy Jeremiah, he's a liar. That guy Jeremiah, he's not of God. You know why? I know he's not of God because God wouldn't do that. Now see, right there, you had other prophets who in their minds said, you know, God wouldn't do that. So that what Jeremiah is saying can't be God because God wouldn't do that. So we need to be real careful about what we say God would or would not do. One thing we know is that God will never violate His Word. Never, ever, ever, ever. He'll never violate His character. Never, ever, ever, ever. He'll never go contrary to His character. Never, ever, ever, ever. And God has delivered to us His Word so that we can know what we're hearing what we're participating in, what we're reading, what we're learning, what we're feeling. We're real feeling-oriented people. You guys know that, don't you? We like feelings. I like feelings, too. I didn't feel very good last night as I watched my team lose 33-16. to 16. <laughs> Didn't feel very good. But I said, you know what, it's just a game. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't feel good, but it's just a game. Now, we get to spiritual things, and, and, and we really like feeling, and sometimes... Something can feel really good. And if we're not careful, though, to measure it against the Word of God, we can let our feelings override what the Scripture is declaring. This is exactly what the children of Israel did. As Jeremiah prophesied for 23 years and says, the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to carry you away captive, you're going to be in that land for 70 years. There is no way God's going to do that to us. We got all the promises of God. He's not going to do that to us. So the prophets would come and say, yep, you're right. Jeremiah's wrong. God's not going to do that. It just felt more right to believe that God wasn't going to let them be in Babylon for 70 years. And so they went with their feelings instead of trusting in the true word of God. We have, do you guys realize we've got a Bible full of examples like that? Don't make the same mistake today. This is why... The Scripture is so important. And the Spirit's been given to us to reveal, to illuminate that Scripture to us. Amen? And so we come, and, and here's what he says in verse 5 of chapter 24. And, and this is what the people, the people couldn't wrap their brains around this. Well, they, they didn't have to wrap their brains around it. They just needed to trust the Word of the Lord. You know, you don't have to wrap your brain around everything in this Bible. You just need to trust that it's the word of the Lord. That's not blind faith. It really isn't. Just because you don't understand everything, because you can't line it all up and make A connect to Z in a logical stream for you, that doesn't mean it's not God. We're not called to make it all fit in a logical stream. We're called to trust the sovereign God of creation. And Israel couldn't make it all fit in a logical stream here. But here's what Jeremiah says. 
He says, thus says the Lord God, verse 5 of Israel, like those, like these good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent. Now, we're going to see this. If you read Jeremiah, you see God makes sure over and over that they do not miss that. Whom I have sent out of this place for their own good. They just couldn't see any good in being sent away from their home. They couldn't see any good in letting a pagan king come and and do what he was going to do. They couldn't see any good of spending 70 years in Babylon. They couldn't see any good in it. Yet, the word of the Lord was, I have caused you to be carried away for your own good. Now, we're either going to believe that word of God, or we're going to believe the prophet who's standing over here saying, God will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar within two full years. Jeremiah says, no, he won't. And he said, yes, Jeremiah, he will. I tell you, and he took that yoke off Jeremiah's neck because God told Jeremiah to do a real weird thing. He says, I want you to make yokes for yourselves and I want you to put them on your neck. And Jeremiah goes to the court of the king and he says, they're like, what's this you're wearing, Jeremiah? He says, that's a yoke I put on my neck because God told me to do it. Why would God tell you to put a yoke on your neck? Well, because he wants to send a message to you guys. He wants to give you a visual. And and he wants you to understand that he is going to cause the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to come down here to carry you away captive. Uh, He's going to destroy the city. He's going to do all this. But if you will submit to the yoke of Babylon, you will live. But if you don't submit to the yoke of Babylon, you are going to be destroyed. And here this prophet who had the king's ear and the people's ear, said, you're a liar, Jeremiah. God has told me, thus says the Lord, God will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar within two years. Thus says the Lord. And he stirred the people up, and and they got so angry at Jeremiah, they wanted to kill him. Jeremiah just says, fine, if you want to believe that, you believe it. And he turned around and he walked out. Guess whose word came true? Well, we know today. Because we have the luxury of looking back now 2,500 years. But, but here's, here's the important principle, church. You don't have the luxury where you are right now to look back 2,500 years to see how it's going to play out. You better know the word of the Lord. And you can't know the word of the Lord because you get a good feeling. You better know what this word says. Now, I know that's not very romantic. It's not very, uh, you know, it it requires you to actually put some effort forth and and read the Scripture. But is it worth it? I bet you those people who ended up not only witnessing that destruction, but, but falling prey to that destruction, I bet you they would have listened to the words of Jeremiah instead of the words of all the other prophets that made them feel really good. Because Jeremiah didn't have a good feeling. The word he had didn't give anybody a good feeling. It just was the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you, sometimes the truth will give us a very good feeling. Sometimes the truth won't. Sometimes the truth hurts. But here's what the truth will always do. It will always set you free. It will. And God will always give you the truth because he's got a plan. And you can't separate the plan of God from the truth. They're not two separate things. They are one in the same. And so, Jeremiah 25 tells us that after 23 years of prophesying to the people of Israel, they would not listen to him. I mean, they did everything to this guy. They put him in stocks. They threw him in a cistern. They, um, they did everything but kill him. And the only reason they didn't kill him is because God told him when he started out, and you can go to the first chapter of Jeremiah, he said, I'm going to send you to the nations. Don't fear those people. Don't fear their faces. I will deliver you. Now, I will deliver you. Now, let's just be practical for a moment. If God and you knew God said to you, you go and speak this message, I will deliver you. The first time they like beat you senseless, and put you in stocks? Are you thinking God has delivered? God, I thought you said you were going to deliver me. They just beat me senseless and have locked me up in these stocks and, and, and have 
have ridiculed me and made me a laughing stock, and they're laughing at you too in case you haven't heard God. Would you think that's God's deliverance? They didn't kill him, though. They never killed him. But they did a lot of things to that dude that I would not want to have done to me, and you wouldn't want to have done to you. And God let him do it. But yet God kept his word. And so he prophesies 20 years, and he tells them in chapter 25, he says 70 years of captivity. They still didn't believe him. Then in chapter 26, here's what God tells him. He says, you go to the court of the king, you stand there, you stand in, the, in that place, in that court where all the people come from all the nations, you know, all the tribes come. He's talking about the temple. You go to the court of the temple, you stand there, and you declare my word, and you do not diminish it. Do not diminish my word. We are called, listen, as pastors, as preachers, whatever you want to say, I believe as believers. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to declare his word and not to diminish it at all. Well, what if they laugh at me? Well, what if they do? They laughed at Jesus. What if they're not my friend anymore? Well, a lot of people left Jesus too and did worse. Now, I'm not saying we should go out and seek that. We shouldn't. I'm talking to you, though, about trusting in a sovereign God who has a plan. Even when his plan seems to go contrary to your plan. I'm sure Jeremiah didn't go into this hoping, wishing that he was going to get all the treatment that he got, but he got it. He didn't want to see this happen to Jerusalem and to his people, but, but it's what God said was going to happen. Why? Because of their sin. And it goes on, and, and, uh, and so we get down to Jeremiah 28, right before he writes this letter. And in Jeremiah 28, this was the story, actually, of this false prophet. And him and Jeremiah are like having a, a face-off in the court of the king. And they're facing off there. And Hananiah was the false prophet, Jeremiah 28, 11. It says, Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord. Now, Boy, when you say, thus says, says the Lord, you better know that you're saying, thus says the Lord. I'm going to tell you something that I stopped doing a long time ago. I stopped saying, thus saith the Lord. I did. If I ever come to you and I have a word from the Lord, quote unquote, here's, here's more than likely what I'm going to say to you. You know, I just... I, I just feel impressed to tell you this. And, I, you know, you, if it's confirmation for you, if, if it's what, you know, if it's the Lord, then you'll bear witness with it. If it's not the Lord, then, you know, uh, I believe it is. Put it on the shelf, see what happens. But for us to get up and say, thus saith the Lord, you're to go buy that red Corvette because God wants to bless you because you're a child of the King. Thus saith the Lord. Woo, you better be careful. Because number one, you ain't going to find that anywhere in Scripture. But now I can thus saith the Lord all day long when I'm quoting from this book right here. Because God has, in His sovereignty, by His power, preserved this word. And I'm telling you what, this word is more powerful than any word I can come up with myself. Amen? And any word I tell you or anybody else tells you says, you know, this is what God is saying, it better line up with this right here. If it doesn't line up with it, I don't care how many goosebumps it makes you have. If it doesn't line up with this, it's not God's word. Don't receive it. Don't do anything with it. Run from it. And so this is what's happening. Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, is facing off with Hananiah, the false prophet. And it just so happened that the people liked Hananiah's Prophecy more than they like Jeremiah. Because, I mean, if you're weighing captivity in a pagan land by really brutal people, what sounds better to you, 70 years or two years? Well, I'm going to go with the two years. I don't, want to, I don't want to do 70 years. That's like doing 70 years of hard time. Would you rather have 70 years of hard time or two years of hard time? I'll take two years. The only problem is the judge of the universe didn't give me two years. He gave me 70 so it doesn't really matter what that counselor down there is saying to me. The judge has already decreed it. 
And so Hananiah and Jeremiah, they're just there. And finally, Jeremiah, he just turns around and walks off because it's like after 23 years, you guys aren't going to listen. You're going to hear the words you want to hear. Now, this is not. I'll give you this one for free. This is another thing that we do. You will hear the words you want to hear. You read this Bible, you will make this Bible say what you want to make it say. You will. If you want to get a word from God bad enough to justify some something going on in your life, you can get take this scripture and you can do that. And we should never do that. Well, you know, they did that. Uh, well, well, they, they kind of, uh, no, you can't because they did it. That's, that's one of the beautiful things about the story of Ruth. You know, I mean, there, there were some really, some really strange things going on there. And we can't say, well, Ruth did it, so I can do it. No, Ruth did it because it was God's plan. And Ruth had a pure heart, didn't violate anything about God's character. If we want to take the scripture and twist it like Hananiah was doing, like the false prophets were doing, we're twisting it to our own devices for our own, to bring about our plan. Can't do that. So this is the background. This is where, this is where we're at. This is what's been going on. And Jeremiah has been declaring the word of the Lord. And we get to Jeremiah 29, it says, let's just begin in verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter. So we need to understand that this verse 29, chapter 29 of Jeremiah is a letter that was written to those who have already been taken captive in Babylon. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who, are, who were carried away captive to the priest. So he's singing it to the elders, to the priests, to the prophets. In fact, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah 29 is a letter that Jeremiah writes from Jerusalem, and he sends it to Babylon to all the people that are taken captive. And this is what God is telling them. Let's begin in verse 4. Here is the body of the letter. Now, isn't this cool? Now, you guys, what if you were like, I don't know, do y'all like to like go exploring and stuff? I love to go exploring. You know, what if you went into an old house and you found this cool-looking old chest and you opened it up and there inside were these, these manuscripts and there's a letter dated 500 B.C. It, it, it dated about... Really, it's, it's, it's not that old. It's more like 600 and something B.C. But, uh, but you know what I mean. Or, or it's younger, I mean, than that. 600 B.C. is older than 500 B.C. Yeah. You have to kind of do your switch there in your brain. But let's say you, you found a letter that was like 2,500 years old. You would think, man, that is cool. I want to find the Antiques Roadshow like today and find out about this thing. <laughs> Listen, you got a book full of letters older than that. And here, preserved for you, is the letter that God wrote to the captives in Babylon, penned by Jeremiah the prophet. Here's the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. See how God inserts that in there? Whom I have caused. God says, don't blame this on anybody else. I've done this. So deal with that and accept it. When we talk about God having a plan for our life, we need to understand it's God's plan. It's not our plan. And part of understanding that is allowing God to take control. You, you know my philosophy on human beings. We're all control freaks. Just some are, are more open about it than others. But the reality is we all want to be in control. And here's where the rub comes. God says, you can't be in control because I'm in control. You can't be the head because I'm the head. Matter of fact, you can't be what you want to be. You're going to be what I've called you to be. 
And if you will find your pleasure in me, you will find your pleasure in what I've called you to be. It is so amazing. We make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. If we will find our pleasure in him, voila, we will find our pleasure in what God has called us to be. And we'll begin to understand that he really and truly does have a plan. So here's what he says. He says, I've caused you guys to be carried away. And here's what I want you to do. Now, I just, in your message guide, I made a list here. And I listed all the things God told them to do. These aren't like real super spiritual things, like build houses. Hey, your houses got burned down by the Babylonians. You're going to Babylon, you're going to have to have a house to live in unless you want to sit out in the rain all the time and let the sun beat on your head in the desert out there. So when you get there, build a house. Oh no, but we're only going to be there two years. I'm not going to take all the time and effort to build a house. I'm not going to be there that long. God says, no, you listen to the wrong prophet. 70 years, you're going to be there. So build houses, plant gardens. You're going to need something to eat. And when you plant those gardens, eat the fruit from your garden. Take wives. Marry. Take wives. Wives, take husbands. Birth, sons, and daughters. Matter of fact, when those sons and daughters get old enough, take wives for those sons. And give your daughters to husbands so that you can birth grandbabies. Now think about that for a moment. This is a letter God's writing to them. Now you do the math. If I go to Babylon and I don't have a wife yet, which means I don't have any kids yet, and God is telling me to build a house, plant a garden, marry somebody, produce children, raise those children up, and get those kids married so that they can have your grandbabies. That tells you something right there. You're going to be there for a while. It, well, why would God tell them to do that? Well, God tells them right here. He goes through this whole list. And God says, in case you're wondering right now why I'm telling you to do all this, he said, here's the reason why. That you may be increased there and not diminished. That you may be increased there and not diminished. Do you know, it's a huge thing right now in the church and out of the church. I don't get it. I know people personally who have chosen to not have any kids. Because they're afraid that the world is going to end. They're afraid that they're going to add to global warming. I mean, I've actually had people tell me this. Well, if I have kids, we're just going to add to the destruction of the planet. We're just going to, more fossil fuels are going to be put into the air. And then they start crying because they're so upset over what's happening to the earth. Do you know how unbiblical that is? That is just so unbiblical. You have other people, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to bring my kids into this horrible place. You know, besides, we're all going to be taken out of here pretty quick anyway. So, well, maybe we will. Maybe we don't. But I think God on purpose taught, didn't tell us when that was going to happen because he didn't want us to get into that mentality. Why? Because this is where we are, church. I mean, we could kind of say it like this. This is our Babylon in a sense. The good news is God owns Babylon and he owns everything else. But this is the land God has us in. He's got us right here. He'll, he knows when he's going to take us out of here. However that happens, whether we die of old age or whether, however. But in the meantime, God says, I want you to build houses, take wives, have children, have grandbabies, because I want you to be increasing. Because why? Remember, we go back to what I call the Genesis mandate. Because God said in the beginning when he created him, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It's a principle. The Apostle Paul didn't get married. So it's a principle. It doesn't mean everybody. But in principle, this is what humanity does. And so what, what if you're struggling with barrenness? There are people who... I've had several people in my family 
try and try and try and try to have children. And they couldn't have kids. Then one day, just out of the clear blue, boom, there's a baby. I mean, after they had just given up, it ain't never going to happen. My sister did that. My sister ended up adopting, and right after she adopted, she got pregnant. Actually had two more kids after she adopted. They tried and tried and tried before. You say, well, I wonder why God did that. Well, maybe God wanted them to adopt that child. (laughs) Because if they'd had their own kid, maybe they would have never adopted. I don't know. But, But God has a plan. So I don't have to try to figure God's plan out. I just have to trust him. Amen? So he says, guys, I want you all to do this because I want you to be increased, not diminished in the land. And he says, and don't be, don't be angry and bitter toward the Babylonians. Because remember, I caused them to do this. So instead of seeking vengeance, seek the peace of the city. Wherever you're at, seek the peace of the city. Because if your city's in peace, then you're going to be in peace. That makes sense, doesn't it? Don't let your prophets... Do you notice how God qualified that? Don't let your prophets. He didn't say don't let my prophets. Because God's prophets won't deceive the people. He said don't let your prophets. Those guys you like to listen to because they give you all warm fuzzies, but they lie to you. Don't, don't let them deceive you. Don't listen to your dreams. Here's another. This is real important for us too. I know people who like to interpret other people's dreams. Do you not listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. You know what I believe? 99.9% of the dreams we dream, and we're seeking after some prophet or dream master to give us some interpretation. I believe the vast, vast, vast majority of those dreams are dreams that we've caused to be dreamed. God says, don't listen to the dreams that you've caused to be dreamed. If we would spend half as much time in God's word instead of trying to figure out what our dreams mean, You know where I'm going. Amen? Come on, church. Hang with me. Because the truth will set you free. God, God has a plan. So he says, don't give place to false prophecies. Don't give place to false dreams. After 70 years, here's what God says in his letter. After 70 years, God says, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. I will cause you to return to this place, to Jerusalem. That's what he says. Now, you know where that brings us up to? That brings us up to verse 11. The verse we're talking about today. Really, we're talking about the whole thing. But don't just take verse 11 without taking the verses before that. Because God had a reason. He says, for... Now... What God is doing here when he tells them to build houses, plant gardens, take wives, make grandbabies. God is giving his people a long-term, big-picture perspective. Let me say that again. Long-term, big-picture perspective that is crucial for function and health. You know why so much of the body of Christ is not functioning right today? Because they're living by snapshots. And they're trying to figure out what the snapshot means. And and it's impossible to do because they can't get the big picture. They don't have a long-term big picture perspective on things. So life is not a a a snapshot. It's a story. It's, y'all ready? His story. Did y'all get that? Did y'all get that? You ever, why do they call it history? Why? Where did that word come from? It's because it's his story. I believe that. I really do. It's his story. It's not a, sna- a snapshot. It's a story. It's a full-length feature film. I mean, God is painting a picture for them in vivid detail here. And he says, don't live by some snapshot. Listen, get the big picture here. And the big picture for them went way beyond 70 years of captivity. Remember what he said in the chapters previous? He said, I will raise up a branch, a righteous branch, a holy branch. Well, who was that? That was Jesus. All the people reading this letter that were alive when Jeremiah wrote that, they were all going to be dead by the time that branch was raised up. But God was telling them something. He said, listen, 
My plan, what I'm doing, goes way beyond your 70 years of captivity. This is a part of what I'm doing. Church, we need to begin to live life and understand that that what God has called us to, the plan He has for our life goes way beyond my... If we live a long life as as man believes that it is today, if we live to be 100 years old, do you know that God's plan for your life goes way beyond any 100 years you can... It doesn't matter. Jesus only lived to be 33 years old on this earth. Some live... Far less than that. It has nothing to do with whether God accomplished His plan or didn't accomplish His plan. No, listen. God will accomplish His plan. The question is, do we believe it? Do we try? Even if the captivity is 70 years, can we accept that that's God's plan? Well, we can now because we're reading it in the Bible. But if you would have been alive back then and you were believing for two but, but it really was 70, could you have accepted that that was God's plan? Or would you have done what I did when I first moved to Taylor? Here's what I did when I first moved to Taylor. I tell people I spent the first 10 years trying to figure out how to get out of this place. <laughs> you guys know me. I love trees. Man, I love trees. So you would think when I moved here, the first thing I would do would just be plant trees everywhere. No. You know why I didn't plant trees? Because I'm not going to be here long enough to see them. So I didn't plant it. For 10 years, I did not plant a tree. Do you know how selfish, how absolutely selfish that was? What if I wouldn't have been here? It never dawned on me that someone that came behind me could have enjoyed those trees. And you realize how selfish our lives become because we're so consumed with the little snapshot we're looking at. And we can't see the bigger picture that goes way beyond us. And this is why God told him, when you get there, first thing you do is start building houses, plant gardens, plant trees, establish families, establish generations. And don't worry, when the time comes, I'll visit you and I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what God did. So it's from that long-term, big-picture perspective that we must understand the promises God is making, for that is how He develops His story that we're in. Y'all believe it? We're in, we're in His story. We are. All right, so let's look now at Jeremiah 29, 11. Really, we're going to look at 11 through 14, and we're going to look at key words. Key words are very important. The first key word we're going to look at, why are they important? Because key words help us understand truth. So the first key word here for you is the word for, F-O-R, for. Why is that a key word? Because it points to what precedes so that we can get the full context. Remember, because truth is never found outside of context. So let's say that I believe the lie because it just feels a lot better and it just is what I'm in denial. I'm living in denial. I am in denial that it's going to really be 70 years. And I have invested everything in the prophet that's saying it's two years. What happens when two years comes and God hasn't shown up to take me back? Well, you know, maybe I miss, I'm like the guy who wrote the book back in 1988 and 89. Uh, it's 88. Oh, well, I miscalculated. It's 89. 89 comes and goes, and he just quit writing books. I know, he might have written another one now. There's another book out, you know, that's got a date going on. What, what happens if I've invested everything in two years in the lie, and it comes... And it doesn't come to pass. I've lived in denial all this time. Now I'm going to have to deal with some things. It's best not to live in denial. It's best just to trust God. So captivity is real, but I'm going to trust God. He's got a plan in the midst of 70 years of captivity. Why would you believe that? Because that's what he said. Well, how do you know that that prophet's true? Well, you know, I just believe he is. We have something that they didn't have. We have a complete canon of Scripture now that they didn't have. This is why the Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. So it's not a snapshot. It's not a, it's that. It's a full-length story. So we come to this word, for. For, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Even though it's going to be 70 years, listen, Israel, 
I know the thoughts I think. Plant, build houses, plant gardens, have kids, have grandkids, marry, give in marriage. Establish yourself there that you may be increased and not diminished. Pray for the peace of the city. Do all, these things, do all of these things I'm telling you for I know. For I know, God says, the plan, the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts, what's it say? Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. So four points to what proceeds so that we can get the full context of what's being communicated. For I know the thoughts. God is assuring His people that He knows His plan, even though it made little or perhaps no sense to them at all. You may not know. I may not know. And I can tell you right now, I don't. But I know... God does. So I can either trust in what I don't know, or I can trust in Him who I do know. Do you know God? Do you know Christ? So you don't have to know the intricacies of God's plan, but do you know God? And if I know God, I don't have to know every detail of His plan. I just have to know Him. And so I can either trust in what I don't know, or I can trust in Him who I do know. Do I like the way He deals all the time? Absolutely not. Ruth said, The arm of the Lord has gone out against me. He has dealt very bitterly with me. Even Ruth recognized that sometimes God deals bitterly. This captivity was bitter. But are we going to trust in the God we know? Are we going to trust in what we don't know? Or live in denial. So it's not that God does not reveal his plan. It's that we don't always trust in the way he chooses to accomplish it. He told him real clearly, the plan is 70 years in captivity. Uh, It can't be God. No, it is. I'm either going to trust in him, whether it is or isn't. Or how about this? How about Jesus dying on a cross? There were a lot of people that couldn't accept that was the plan of God. There were a lot of religious leaders standing there watching Jesus die, that slow, grueling death on the cross, saying that can't be the Messiah, it can't be Him, because that just wouldn't be the way God would do it. Yet when all the law and all the prophets and all the Scripture declared that very thing, it just didn't feel right to them. It just wasn't the way they thought it was going to all happen. Well, see, it's, that's why it's not called your plan or my plan. It's called his plan. It's not your story. It's his story. He's going to determine how it's going to happen. So here's the next key word, you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. You know, you is very specific. Hey, I'm talking to you. And you look up. Yeah, you. I'm pointing to Olga. I'm talking to you, Olga. If somebody says, hey, I'm talking to you, and you're like, you're the only one standing there. Yeah, you. It's like, they're talking to me. Oh, me? Yeah, you. I mean, this is specific. God wasn't writing to just anybody. He wasn't writing to Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't writing to, he was writing to his people. You here is defined by his people. He wasn't writing to the false prophets. He wasn't writing to all the people that were still banking on two years. Living in denial, he was writing to his people, and he knew who his people were. Even when his people didn't all know they were his people, he knew who they were. Because I would just venture to say that there were a lot of them that after two years passed, after several years passed, they had to come to the, 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 the conclusion that uh, maybe Jeremiah was right. They didn't all just begin to trust because God wrote a letter here. You guys know it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, God's given us the Bible. You didn't just trust because God says, oh, here's my Bible, now trust me. This is part of God's plan. Now, this is real important that you follow with me here. Okay, so the next word is, and he gives very specific. He said, I have for you, the thoughts I think to you are thoughts of peace and not evil. To who? Toward you. Thoughts to give, you, to give you a future and a hope. He's being very specific. He's talking to his people. Now, he didn't write that letter to us, but he recorded this letter for us, and I claim those promises. 
that if I am his people, if I am a child of God, and I am, then God's thoughts toward me are, are for good and not evil, for peace and not evil, to give me a future and a hope. I believe that. I do. Does that mean I'm never going to have any difficult time in my life? Absolutely not. 70 years of captivity is pretty bitter. But God is writing a letter of hope here to these people. Now, let's go on. Are you still with me? Now we're in verse 12. This is a very important key word. Then. What does then tell us? It's, it's, like, a little, it's like a little rhyme. Then tells us when. Then tells us when. Then. What? Then what, God? Then you will call upon me. When will you call upon me? Then. To understand the then, you've got to go back to what God is saying. Thus, Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are complete in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work. In other words, God says, You're going to go through some things. For 70 years, you're going to go through some things. But here's the good news, Israel. I'm going to take you through these things. The devil didn't do this. King Nebuchadnezzar might think he did it, but he didn't do it. I caused this. And I caused this to take you through my plan because my plan is that when I work my plan, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to call upon me. The same people who listened to the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah for 23 years and the scripture says they would not listen. They would not listen. God says, I know how to make you listen. I love you that much. And you might say, oh, that was so cruel of God. Was it really? It wasn't. God says, I love you so much that I will see the temple that my son Solomon tore down. I mean, that my son Solomon built. That my prophets prophesied of. That my priests ministered in. The city... That, that symbolizes and speaks of me. I love you so much, I'll let that temple and I'll let that city be destroyed by a pagan king in order for you to call upon me. See, God wasn't so invested in buildings and cities and things like that that had his name on them. And do you know, Jerusalem was the place. You can read it in Leviticus. I'll cause you to come to the place in which my name will dwell forever. He was talking about the city of Jerusalem. But I'm going to tell you what. That speaks of something much greater than a city. We are, go to the end of the book, we are the new Jerusalem. We are the city God has chosen for his name to dwell forever. That is amazing, church. Then you will call upon my name. You will go then. You will pray to me then. And I will listen to you. It's the promise of God. And, that's another key word. What does and tell us? And indicates that's not all. And, God says, hey, it gets even better than that. And, you will seek me. You won't just call upon me in your despair. You will seek me. And you know what? You will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. When are you going to search for me with all your heart? The answer to that question is then. God says, then, you reject me now, but then, you not only will call upon me, go to me, pray to me, seek me, you will do it with all of your heart. Why? Because that was my plan. My plan was for you to love me, to seek me, to search after me, to find me with all of your heart. I don't want any of your heart to be toward those idols, toward those false gods, toward those false ways. I want all of you. God says, I love you so much, I, I've got a plan that's going to cause you to then call upon me. So here's what's important about this context. Remember I said Jeremiah 29, 11 is a truth that stands in and of itself. But here's the thing. If we think that, that, that what that scripture means is that God's never going to let me go through a hard time, God's never going to let something catastrophic happen in my life. Then when the catastrophe comes, when the hard time comes, 
This is why people turn away from God. Because they take refrigerator magnet scriptures and they don't understand the truth they're conveying. God said that after he assured them that he personally was going to cause them to go through 70 years of hardship and captivity. And God says, but at the end of that 70 years, here's what's going to happen. I don't want you to lose hope. You're going to become very despondent and hopeless in the midst of your 70 years. But here is what I'm telling you, Israel, my people. I will come and visit you. And after I have worked my plan through your lives, you'll call on me. Not only that, you'll seek after me. Not only that, you will find me when you search for me. You'll seek me and search after me with all of your heart. And I will hear you. I put down there on your message guide the five You wills of his people, found in verse 12 and 13. Here's what God says his people will do. He says, you will call upon me, you will go to me, you will pray to me, you will seek me, you will find me. Those are promises from God. When are those going to happen? Then, after I take you through what I have planned for your life, what I have caused to happen in your life. God, this doesn't seem very godlike, sending me to captivity. Do you trust him, church? I know there are things that have happened in your life that don't seem very godlike. They don't seem very good. But can you trust God even though you don't understand everything he's doing? Even though you don't understand the captivity, can you trust him? Because here's the promise he's given you. I'm doing this for your good. Remember what he said in chapter 24? I have sent you to Babylon for your own good. And and here's the picture in that chapter God gave of two baskets of figs. One good figs and one rotten figs, bad figs that were so rotten that you couldn't even eat them. And God says, this is really what he's saying in that chapter. He said, it's it's for your own good that I sent you because if I leave you here, you're going to end up like that basket of rotten figs. And, and, And you won't be fit for anything but destruction. But God says, for my people, I will not allow that to happen. So I'm going to put you in a basket and I'm going to send you away to a place you don't want to go. But it's for your good. Because I'm going to actually save your life through this horrible calamity that's going to come upon you. That's hard for us to understand, church. It really is. But, but this is reality. See, if we want to live in denial and say bad things should never happen to good people, then you keep living in denial. But, but I'm telling you what, God loves you enough to bring you to a place to help you understand, hey, I might not even know why all this has happened. Maybe I caused some of it. Maybe I didn't have anything to do with it. Do you believe that there were people in Jerusalem that didn't have anything to do with the fact that they were carried away captive? That there were really people there who loved God with all their heart, who did all the right things, who, who believed in what the prophet Jeremiah was saying, who probably prayed fervently that this wouldn't happen. But yet, those same people were also carried away captive. Bad things really do happen to good people. Or we can say bitter things really do happen to good people. But we have to trust the author, the one who's writing the story. We can't just look at the snapshot. Here are the five I wills that God writes to his people. Do you know why? See, this letter was written to Jews some 2,500 years ago. But do you know why these I wills apply to us today? Because we are his people. If you are in the Son, if you are Christ, you are God's people. I will listen to you. I will be found by you. I will bring you back. I will gather you. I will bring you to this place. What was that place? It was Jerusalem. Church, do you understand that God has brought you to Jerusalem? You may never go to geographic Jerusalem in this lifetime. But according to the scripture, you are the Jerusalem of God. 
You, it is that city coming down, the people of God, the bride of the Lamb. Are you the bride of the Lamb? Are you? If you're born again, are you the bride of the Lamb? Then the Scripture says you are the new Jerusalem. You will be that city descending one day, pictured in the book of Revelation. How did you come to Jerusalem? You know how you came? God brought you. He brought you. You were captive by a king much worse than Nebuchadnezzar, a king of darkness. You had no way of escaping in your sin and death. And God brought you to Jerusalem. That's good news. That's good news. You might not like everything you're going through in your life right now, but, but what I'm telling you today, church, is look beyond the snapshot. Understand that God has a plan. And His plan doesn't just involve sweet things. Man, Amy made some cupcakes yesterday. They were so good. They were just so sweet and chocolatey and <clears throat> they were good. I mean, I took one bite and I felt my blood sugar just like a rocket. <laughs> God's plan is not all cupcakes. It's not. It's not. It's not all sweetness. We do people a disservice when we preach that kind of gospel. And there are a lot of people that have left the church, that have left God because of their disillusionment, because they believe the prophet said it'd only be two years. When they got to about year 25 and they realized... Um, Do you have the faith to say, in spite of it, God, I trust you. I don't like the captivity, but I'm going to trust you. The you will and the I will are God's plan. You will call on me, not because it was your plan. You will call upon me because it was God's plan to then bring you to that place to call on him. Those are God's plans. We don't author it and we don't bring it to pass, but we actively participate in it and we are accountable to it. We are. His plan may not be the plan that we're thinking or desiring. Because it's His plan. It's not ours. It's His plan. His plan is not always what we're thinking, not always what we're desiring. But it's His plan, and He alone, He alone can bring it to pass. Amen? Amen? The sovereign God of creation has a plan. He has a plan for your life. You're part of it right now. Stop looking at snapshots. Take a step back and let God give you a different perspective on your life. I know there were some testimonies of healing that came in the ladies' conference. I, I've had the uh, privilege of hearing just a little bit of Michelle's testimony when we were able to visit one-on-one uh, before she came here. And, and God had a divine appointment in all of that. I really believe that. And you know, people don't walk through healing because they spend their times looking at snapshots. They're able to walk through healing because they understand, in spite of my captivity right now, in spite of my hardship right now, God's made a promise to me. See, these promises, for I know the plans I have for you, then you will call upon me. That promise would come to pass when? At the end of that trial, at the end of that captivity. And God persevered them, God sustained them through that whole thing so that when He performed His Word, His Word came to pass. His Word was, then you'll call upon Me. Then you'll seek Me. Then you'll search for Me. Then you'll find Me. What did they do 70 years prior to that? They rejected God. Now, through God's plan, God brought them to a place of, of having their whole heart. 
this is what he wants. And that doesn't mean, don't misunderstand me. God's not a, 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 just sending people through hard times because he's trying to break them. That may happen. I don't know. But it's much bigger than that. See, this is why it's dangerous for us to try to take a particular scripture or a thought or idea and then just conform it to our life. Mm-mm. We know who God is. Who is God? He's good. And in spite of the bitter ways sometimes we're dealt with, might not even be our fault. We might just be total victims and we've just been taken with the crowd to Babylon. It rains on the just and the unjust. Drought comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. But in the midst of it, God's made us a promise. Keep trusting me. Keep looking to me. Let my word have place in your life. God knows how to bring us through. And he will perform his word. He will fulfill his word in the end. His plan shall be done. Amen. Let's all stand.